Hey there, listeners. Thanks for stopping by to the podcast today. Please, before you're done listening to this episode, leave us a review. If you're on Spotify, you can review now. And you can also review on Apple Podcasts. But if there's any platforms that I'm forgetting about and you can leave us a review, please do so. If you're happening to watch us on YouTube, and if you don't know, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube now, uh, please like and subscribe to the channel and share the episode as well. So thanks for stopping by, everybody, and enjoy the episode. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Power Podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett. Today, we got another great guest. So if you could go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Hi, I'm Steve DeAngelis. Um, should I give my occupation and stuff like that? Sure, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm the uh, I'm the Market Center Technical Trainer for Keller Williams Coastal Realty in Rhode Island. Um, and um, I my my friend Max Willett invited me to come in to expose this morning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'm looking forward to talking to you about your life story. So uh, like I start off every podcast, I ask you a simple question. Let's just hear your life story. You know, go, go as far back as you want. And uh, I think that's a great starting point. Okay. Um, well, let's see. Um I was born in Holden, Massachusetts. Uh, my family moved back to Rhode Island when I was about two weeks old. Um, I have uh, five brothers and sisters, so it was a large, noisy family. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm the fourth in line. Um, was educated in in uh, in Providence. I went to. Um, school in Providence, um, graduated from LaSalle Academy, went off to the University of Rhode Island, where I got my bachelor's degree, um, had a wonderful four-year stint there, um, went to work, started my first, my first full-time real job the day after graduation, um, went to work for the Providence Journal Company, and um, spent 27 years. Wow. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I left there when I was 50 years, when I turned 50 years old, um, the company had been sold and they were reorganizing and that's when they began, you know, they were, they were, my department had pretty much been eliminated. So there was no need for me anymore. Um, I took advantage of the time and traveled for two years and uh then came home to settle down and realized that you know hey there's nobody to play with everyone i know is working <laughs> and um and a very close friend of mine um well my job at the journal i was the director of research and development um so mm -hmm. we were a support department um we supported the advertising department and the news department in product development um one of the products that I developed uh, was this Saturday real estate magazine, um, which it was kind of funny um, for years and years and years, you could not put a picture. You could advertise real estate in the journal. You could not put a picture in the ad. It was simply hmm. solid set agate type. Um, we had heard rumors on the street that the, um, Rhode Island Association of Realtors was going to form a partnership with Homes Magazine and make Homes Magazine their, you know, their official house organ. Um, and uh, we couldn't do that. We couldn't, you know, we did not want to give up one dime of business. So um, it, in going out and, and interviewing um, some of the leading realtors in the, in the market, uh, it all boiled down to they wanted pictures. They wanted to put pictures in their ads because they needed to make the phones ring. That's how realtors would get business. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, we worked on this and, and, 
And the biggest pushback we got was from the classified department saying, oh, my God, you can't put pictures in classified advertising. And I kept telling them it's basically a death notice. We put pictures in death notices. It's the exact same system. Um, they they finally relented and, and they agreed to do it. Um, our first book was 64 pages, which was the maximum that we could print. And the book stayed sold out for months in advance for a number of years because it made the phones ring for people. Um, that's when you started your home search looking in, you know, looking in, in newspapers. Um, I retired at 50, bounced around for two years. One of the people that, uh, one of my real estate friends that helped me develop these, this product, we were just chatting one day and she said, you know, you know more about this business now than I do. Why don't you come to work with me? And, and I'm like, you know, gee, that, that sounds like a good idea. Let me do it. So I, um, I went off, took the classes, got my license, uh, called her up. Uh, I, I got my license uh, at the end of January, called her and said, hey, got my license. Let's go to work. And her response was, it's wintertime. I'm going to Florida for three months. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, I'll see you in April. So she, um, she had already connected me with uh, her agency, which was Keller Williams. And so I, you know, walked in the front door and found the team leader and said, you know, here I am, here's my license. Let me add him. Yep. Um, started my, you know, started my formal real estate training there at Keller Williams. Um, <clears throat> about, about a year into being affiliated with them, um, Keller Williams unroll, uh, unveiled <clears throat> a whole new uh, internet-based marketing platform, um, which, um, you know, it, 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 it was your customer relationship management tool. It was your marketing tool. Um, and um, coming from the Providence Journal, we were, <clears throat> we were a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week operation. Mm -hmm. uh, we were using email back in 1980, <clears throat> when your email was a little tiny screen about the size of today's cell phone, uh, it was green with yellow letters on it. And that's how, you know, we would be communicating with, with reporters, you know, all over the country, in fact, all over the world that way. So I was very used to using email, um, sending, <clears throat> you know, sending files back and forth. Um, we, we, we had, uh, <clears throat> when I first went to work at the journal, this was really funny. The advertiser database was a huge Rolodex. <laughs> do you know I what a Rolodex a, is? I, I do know what a Rolodex is, yes. Okay, well, this was a huge one that um, they, you know, it, it, it just had every advertiser listed in it. And, um, and my microphone just fell off the stage. Can you still oh, hear okay. me? Yeah, I can still hear you. <laughs> yep. So um, one day one of the one of the advertising managers we would have summer interns that would work there and 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 so the ad manager said to one of the interns uh, go clean out the database you know go clean out the rolodex um and anyone that hasn't done business in like a year get rid of them and um then realized later on that day that well fully a third of our advertisers would only advertise at christmas and they all got, and, and all their cards were thrown away. And um, that's when, that's when uh, management sat down and said, we need to, you know, we need to do a different system. Um, so I was involved in the building of the first online database there. So I knew about how to use, how to, how to use and manage an online database. Um, so I was myself and two other agents, we were tagged to teaching everyone else how to do this. Um, did that for for a couple of years, then finally said, "Okay, I, I'm I'm tired. I I don't, I don't want to do this anymore." Um, and then um, and then about three years later, um, I went to a I went to a regional Keller Williams meeting, and they had this guy come in 
who was talking about this new system that they were developing. It was going to be a cloud-based system um, using artificial intelligence to make make predict you know make predictions for the you know for for business and and it was funny because I was so impressed with what they were talking about. Um, the meeting was in Hartford, and as I was driving home, I called I called the Verizon store here in Wakefield and said, I need the biggest phone you have because my little BlackBerry did not have the screen capacity to deal with what we were going to be doing in the future. Um, stopped at the store, picked up the new phone, went into the office the next morning and said, I want to work on this project. And they said, thank you very much. Here it is. It's all yours. Hmm. And then I said to myself, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> so I've been, so, you know, I've been working with, uh, you know, I slowly morphed out of full-time sales and more into technology training, mm -hmm. which is what I do now. Um, I still service my old book of clients, um, but most of my time at the office is now spent um, showing people how to use the technology to enhance their business. And you do a great job at it too. Thank you. <laughs> Cause you definitely helped me. I, when I got my license, I had no clue the amount of tools that were available to a realtor. If you knew how to use and the biggest thing is knowing how to use them correctly. You know, yeah, I remember that day we were sitting in the conference room and your eyes kind of like popped open when I said, well, if you hit this button, this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, MLS is just something that a lot of people in the general population who don't have a realtor's license don't realize how useful it is. Uh, and, and it's a great marketing tool as well, because a lot of like sellers don't realize, you know, the biggest thing, sure, you want to market to to buyers on Facebook and whatnot. But the biggest thing is marketing to other realtors because they always have buyers. Well, and, um, and through MLS, that makes it so much easier. And, and imagine if you were a realtor in 1980, MLS was a big fat book mm. and uh, it was sorted by cities and towns. So if you had somebody, if you had a client that was looking for, let's say, a three-bedroom ranch house in Cranston, you started, yeah. you started at the first Cranston page and you went through and you, and every two weeks they would publish a new book and each office had one, maybe two copies of this book. So you're fighting, you know, you're fighting with a ton of other agents to get in, mm. you know, to get your hands on the book. Um, and you're hoping that someone didn't tear that page out that, that has the house on it that you need. Um, <laughs> thankfully, they they figured out a way to put it online, um, which just uh, increased the value tenfold. Absolutely. MLS because because now could you not you could not only just say, I want that three bedroom ranch house. Uh, you could say, I want that three bedroom ranch house and it's going to have two bathrooms. It's going to have a two car garage. I want a pool in the backyard. I want, you know, this much square footage, um, and this is the price range that I'm looking for. And as it as as those types of properties would come on the market, it would send you a, a notice that hey, two new listings just matched your criteria, mm -hmm. uh, and and it just made things so much easier. Yeah. Um, and then they allowed you to have more than one picture. Mm. You know, in the old print days, you had a picture of the front of the house. Um, and now you could put in pictures of the rooms. Um, you know, you could put in that $50,000 gourmet kitchen you just installed. Um, you know, you could show, you know, the, 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 the features of the house. Um, it, it just it just brought a whole new dimension to home buying. Because now Absolutely. you didn't you 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 didn't have to go to the house to see if you wanted to know more information about it. You could look and say, yes, you know, these are the two or three houses that I need to go inside and see. Mm -hmm. um, and on the downside, it you know people began to think that, you know, well, I can do this myself. <laughs> I don't need to get any help from anybody. Um, but for the most part, they they uh, it 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 helped all of us. Because it, you know, it yes, it gave us a wider exposure of the properties we were listing, 
and it gave us um, access to, you know, more listings. I may not be too familiar with listings that are in, well, let's say, um, Cumberland, because I don't drive through Cumberland very often. Um, but with the advent of the online system, I could I could say, oh, here's 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 the house in Cumberland that looks interesting. Um, and I could pull up a map of the property to see exactly where it was located. Mm -hmm. And then when and then when Google came out with their roving cameras, I could see pictures of the backyard of the house next door. So I could see, you know, is there a junkyard back there or is it a nice house? You know, am mm -hmm. I, you know, this is a beautiful looking home. What's next door? What's across the street? Um, you know, without having to actually go into the neighborhood and drive by the property. Very cool. Well, I think I just want to backtrack a little bit to your oh, sure. your career in journalism. Uh, very interesting. I, I've never, to be honest with you, I've never really met anybody who has uh, been a journalist at a very prominent company like the Promise Journal before. I don't think I've had anybody on the podcast. Sure, I've had people that are okay. in media. I'm not, I was not a journalist. Uh, okay. So you were, you, you, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, you're I was on the product development. Side. Your product development. Yeah. So, yeah. um, excuse me for that. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so what made you want to, what made you realize that, you know, getting in that industry was the right path for you? Like, when did you realize that? Um, well, it was 1980. Um, unemployment rate was very high. There mm -hmm. were not many jobs around. Um, and, a friend of a friend um, called me and said, Hey, you know, we're, we're looking for someone for a temporary position. Um, the guy was spearheading this, uh, you know, this special project. And he said, it's only going to be a summer job. And um, I'm like, okay, you know, I've had a bunch of job interviews. Nobody's hiring anyone. Let me take this so I'll have some I'll have some money to spend as I'm, you know, continuing to look. Um and it was uh the Providence Journal as all newspapers were always looking for additional sources of revenue. Um and someone had this idea um that um I guess the best way to explain it is we were taking magazines out of the post office and we had our delivery crew delivering them to the subscribers. And um, we were doing it for free to the magazines, but where we would get paid is we would go to advertisers and say, Hey, do you want to put a little insert into time magazine or life or business? You know, there were seven magazines we were delivering. So we would get paid. We would, our money would come from selling advertising inserts into these magazines. Um, it, um, it taught me a lot about the post office. <laughs> Do you know if you stick something in, a, in someone's mailbox and there's not a stamp on it and the mailman finds it, he can pull it out and the postmaster will charge you postage for that piece of, for that piece of mail. And make you come down to the post office and pick it up and then and then pay them. Um, yeah. But that that so so we started doing that business, and um and it was really funny because I, I mean I'm working you know, I'm working with five other people, um, the other four people were like the children of executives, and um we all were supposed to get let go, September first. And so literally like a week before we're being let go, I got called. Now we were working in a building. We were not downtown on Fountain Street. We were working in a building over um, over on Harris Avenue in the warehouse district. And um, I got called into downtown Providence. I'm like, oh, I guess they're going to let me go early. And um, it was the uh, it was my boss's boss um, who said, look, you know, we have an opportunity, we have something we'd like you to stick around to do for us. Um, you know, and um, um, someone had passed away in the research department. 
and they needed to spill the face spill they needed to fill the job quickly and they offered it to me and it was being a research assistant and and i had no idea what was going on but i'm like sure i'm your man i i understand research went home that night and had to do some reading up on exactly what it was but um i was i was put into the research department um they um they were doing well when i first joined the department what their job was they would do this uh they would do a massive uh, we used to call them pantry checks they'd send out four thousand questionnaires to people and they'd ask you things like what kind of you know laundry soap do you use what kind of peanut butter bread etc um and then they'd take this information and they'd use it to you know they'd, they'd go to the you know let's say they'd go to Ann and hope and say um you know okay you want to you know you're selling you know these are the products you are selling this is your market share among those you know among those buyers or you know they go to one of the grocery stores um so we were basically developing uh, advertising sales strategies um and we you know, the over the next two years the, the department slowly morphed into um we started conducting um more in-depth research um doing focus groups doing doing specialized surveys um and at that point i i was i had moved up in the department i was now a senior associate um and we continued to 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 um we continued to build more skills um where we got to the point where we were we were you know started doing product development product development before that was basically they they tried something and if it didn't stick to the wall it it disappeared Mm -hmm. um, whereas, uh, you know, like my first editorial project was they were looking to develop a young oriented lifestyle feature, um, something that would, uh, you know, attract younger people into the newspaper. And, um, so we did a series of focus groups. We found out what, you know, the, the 21 to 30 year olds were looking for. Um, and we developed a product called LifeBeat, which was basically uh, entertainment news and features. Um, that's where you had the movie ads and 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 all that kinds of stuff. And it and it it highlighted um, activities geared toward the younger people. And that was so successful, the newsroom suddenly said, "Hey, <laughs> we have this resource here. We can you know we can build on it." Um, so we would do periodic reviews of, you know, existing editorial products and then give suggestions to the, you know, to the news editors, you know, maybe you need to change your approach to this. Maybe you need to add this. Um, nobody's really getting much use out of that. So maybe you can, you can, you know, uh, modify things there. Um, and then they threw me into a political survey. And um, <clears throat> it's funny because when you're doing a political survey, you're either loved or someone wants to chop your head off. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it was funny because, it, you know, so we, 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 we did our first political survey and um, I think we, 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 Channel 10 was a co-sponsor in it with us. And so we do our first survey and it was, um, one of the races was Nancy Mayer was running for Congress. And I forget who she was running against. Um, oh, she was running against Jack Reed. Oh, okay. Senate seat. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we did we 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 did two two phases. You know, we we went out in like March, and then we went back out again in June. And in the interim, the Republican Nancy Mayer was a Republican. The Republican Party spent a ton of money promoting Nancy Mayer. And um, so 
and this kind of blew up in some people's faces, but so the teaser went out and said, oh, you know, big news on the Senate race. And um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was Jack Reed's, one of Jack Reed's PR people. And he starts issuing these press releases about how, um, you know, well, you know, it's a Republican newspaper and, you know, look at this, look at this, you know, we brought in a consultant, you know, this consultant, you know, worked on Richard Nixon's campaign in 1962 and, you know, just anything bad he could think of. Um, Well, the big headline was, gee, look, the Republicans spent all this money promoting Nancy Mayer and she did not move one point in the polls. (laughs) Wow, that's that seems like some misplaced anger. Yes, yes. And (laughs) and, um, you know, and then another time. um, The governor's race was hotly contested and. um, We had. um, It was Lincoln Almond, his second term running for governor. And um, the findings and, you know, Lincoln was a Republican and the Democrats were spending a ton of money. and it was a very close race. And um, and we released the results and um, we said it's a neck and neck race. Well, the chairman of the Rhode Island Republican Party was just like beating on the door, was so upset, um, actually demanded a meeting with the publisher and the editor and everybody that was involved in this. And he's and now Rhode Island is a heavily Democratic state. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people don't even, you know, for years, people didn't even look. They walked in, they pulled the Democratic lever, they walked out. Um, so it's very tough when, you, when you're doing a survey, uh, you're trying to get a good cross-representation of the population. Well, it's very tough to find Republicans because, frankly, there just aren't that many in Rhode Island. And, um, you know, so we would we would we would work really hard to, you know, to, to find these people so we could get a good representative sample. And this guy's flipping out because, well, you just, you know, obviously you said, you know, you said this because you didn't inter- interview enough Republicans. And, you know, and I'm trying to explain to the, to the, to the gentleman, look, you know, it, you know, we could have, you know, we, we would interview like 500 people. I said, we could interview, interview 5,000 people. The results are not going to change. Mm-hmm. And um, and it it literally it came down to, um, and this was really funny because election night, because everyone's on the front lawn of the state house, and um, the Channel Ten news anchor actually announced that the Democrat had won, and it was a woman, and I forget her name, but so so the the the, the news person is with the microphone on the camera, you know, saying, so what does it feel like to be the first female governor of Rhode Island? And, and of course, the woman is like, uh, you know, we're not sure yet. You know, you might be jumping the gun. They haven't finished the counting. And, you know, lo and behold, an hour later, of course, they had to, Channel 10 had to retract the story because um, this woman did not win. Lincoln Almond hmm. did, creep across the, did creep across the finish line. Um, and we still got all kinds of hell for that too, because well, you know, the journal stunted the race. Yeah, and you know, and and it's you know, so and I kept telling, you know, I kept telling my boss, don't get us involved in these political surveys because no matter what happens, somebody's going to hate you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. one thing. It's one thing to do a, cons- a consumer opinion survey and say people prefer to shop at. Uh, Jordan Marsh versus Filene's. Those mm-hmm. were old department stores back then. Um, you know, it just makes the loser want to invest more money in their marketing. In a political race, they want to come after you with an axe and a baseball bat. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's absolute craziness. Yeah. The, yeah. the anger. It's just, it's sad too, you know. I've had some politicians on in the past and that's sort of like, I want to get out of talking to them is why do you want to run? Like, why do you want, no matter what you say or what you do, somebody's just going to have pure hatred. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's just like, I've never like, like 
like purely just hating somebody just because of their political opinion is just like wrong, you know, but like people still do it. And I want to know why you're running. Why you do you feel like what you're trying to accomplish is worth more than that or, or something like that, you know, so that's, it's really interesting to hear their perspectives on that. Well, you know, and I, and I would always get the question from people, you know, like, well, why does the news media try to, you know, why do they dig so deep into somebody? You know, why are they trying to sabotage them? And it's like, well, first of all, a good reporter knows when you're lying mm. and they know when you're hiding something. And that just tells them dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas if, you know, the, the, the good reporters are very keen people. Um, they know when something's not right and they'll dig to find out what is right. And also, you know, when, when you're, when, when you have someone who's running for a, a, you know, a state office, you want to make sure that the person you're giving this power to is going to do the right thing. That's why Mm -hmm. they, that's why they have to dig Mm -hmm. and they're not digging. So they can say, Oh, you know, we, 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 we wanted to find out if this guy had any, you know, had a mistress on the side. No, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking to see what the character of that person is. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's, it's, they don't set out to be vicious. Mm. But in the course of their research, in the course of their investigation, maybe some vicious stuff might pop up. Do you think that's changed in modern times? Or do you think... It just misrepresented. No, I think I think nowadays. Um, first of all, uh, there's a big difference between a print reporter and a TV reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a print a newspaper is giving you the facts and let you letting you make the final decision. Um, television news used to be that way you know uh, people in my age group grew up with walter cronkite six o'clock at night reading you the news on tv tv news is now it's really it's editorial they're trying to be more entertaining than well journalistic they're telling you their opinion mm. and they're 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 portraying their opinion as news mm. And it's not, you know, yeah, a newspaper has, has, has stuff with opinion, but that's the editorial page and it's labeled as the editorial page. It's, and it it's says not... opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if it's, if it's written by the editorial department, it's editorial. If mm. it's guest columnists coming in, you know, sometimes maybe the governor might write a, might, might write a piece or, you know, someone, then that's labeled as opinion. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's someone's opinion. It's not the opinion of okay. the newspaper. Okay. Whereas you know you look at you look at television, and um, you know the Fox phenomena. They're telling you what they think you want to hear. Mm-hmm. They're not telling you here's the facts, here's what's going on. Um, you make your own decision. They're telling you this is bad, you know, and 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 they'll give you the reasons why it's bad, but they won't give you all the reasons why it also might be good. Mm-hmm. And and that's where that's where I think news. Hey there, guys. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but I just wanted to tell you that I got my real estate license in the state of Rhode Island. So if you need to buy, sell, or need help renting a property in the state of Rhode Island, feel free to reach out. Contact me at maxwellwillett at kw.com or call me at 401-487-4477 and I'd be more than happy to help you. Thanks guys and enjoy the rest of the episode. Just hurting us now. Yeah. Because you know with with you know with, with the with the growth of the internet you no you no longer have a filter. Mm-hmm. Um you know in the Oh God, I'm going to sound like an old person now. In the old days, <laughs> back in the 80s and the 90s, um, you know, we used to laugh at television um, because this, the, the, the saying was, you know, the story doesn't even hit the desk 
which is where the editor sits. It, it, it comes in the door and it goes out on the air. Um, whereas in a newspaper, you would write a story and then an editor goes and, and goes through the story to make sure and, 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 and will question facts and want to see proof of the facts and things like that. So that when that piece gets published at that point in time, it's the honest truth. And then if two hours later they find out that something was wrong, they will print what's called a retraction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the TV side of the business, that doesn't happen unless someone files a lawsuit. Mm. Um, you know, like the 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 2020 election. You had you had, you know, all these people on various news channels talking about oh the voting machines were fixed and you know hugo chavez came back from the dead and 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 you know was manipulating the votes and and they didn't stop saying that until the two voting machine companies filed lawsuits Mm -hmm. and then they stopped saying it because they're like oh god we're on you know we're we're now going to be on the hook for you know billions of dollars yeah um you know, yeah, what, I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, and then you have, um, you know, anyone now can be a publisher. Mm-hmm. You're a publisher. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're packaging something and you're presenting it on the internet and people can, can go and watch and listen, um, and share it with other people. And, um, you know, there's, there's, you're the writer, you're the editor, and you're the publisher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you have some people that are very damaging. They're going out and they're spreading false, you know, false, you know, they're, 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 they're false facts, they're lies. And, and they're not being stopped. They're, they're, they're unchecked. Yeah. Um, You know, and and it's it's hurtful because you know people will hear something you know people will hear something and they start to believe it mm-hmm. and then they start to distrusting everything else and you know that that's you know in the news world that's what we're that's what we're in now mm. yeah sad yeah. um but yeah i think i want to get into more of like the product development side of the okay. of the Providence Journal. I was really interested to hear you say that because, uh, I mean, we're talking about so the, the front line, what people see, what what's what what's on TV, what's in the newspaper, but there's a lot of product development that goes on in the background, right? Yeah. So, could you explain sort of like some of the processes that you would go through? You have an idea. What would the process be from idea to reality? Okay, so you have a, you have you have an idea. We would then, um, you know, we would f- first decide who is the target audience, and then we would do a series of focus groups. And, mm-hmm. and what a focus group is is you have a you gather a group of people around a table, um, and you start to talk about something in that subject. Um, for instance. Um, with the lifebeat product, mm-hmm. you know, we we were targeting the twenty to thirty year olds, so we 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 assembled a couple of groups of twenty to thirty year olds. Um, you know, you're in this you're in a focus group facility, which is basically it's 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 kind of like a police interrogation room. You're sitting at a table, and there's a one way mirror on the wall, <laughs> and there's people behind the mirror, you know, listening to what's going on, um, and you start a discussion, Um, you know, you have a moderator, they start the discussion. Um, So, okay, so Max, when the weekend's approaching, you're thinking, you're looking for something to do, where do you start looking? You can go go over my friend's house. I look on, I look on uh, my text messages. Okay, so you, you know, so um, suppose the text messages don't give you any good ideas of what to do this weekend. What would you do next? And you and you and you you kind of go through that kind of a conversation and you mm-hmm. go around the table. Um, 
and then you get um so you hear what people like um and then you develop some prototypes and then you do some more groups and you say okay what do you think of this and they and they critique it um and then and you always have to listen for and i always called it you have to listen for the butt report mm. and it was basically someone's like wow this is really great but yeah because everything before the word but is everything before the word but is praising you but the truth comes afterwards yeah you know yeah this is really nice but, but. <laughs> <laughs> and um you know and 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 so so that so that tells you know and now we would have you know editors and reporters sitting behind the mirror so they could hear what's going on um and and then towards the end of the you know and the, the group would run for like an hour and a half and then towards the end of the group we'd we'd ask the back room to send in questions you know there may be something that you know maybe one person mentioned something and somebody in the back really wants to dig in deeper on that mm -hmm. um but, but you'd go through a series of these um until you finally got to a product that you could produce and people liked and then we'd yeah. uh, and then we'd test it we'd, okay. we'd, we'd actually we'd, we'd print the product um we'd give it to people and say would you you know actually we, we would recruit people we say we're going to send you uh you know a new newspaper section um you know please read it and we're going to call you thursday at 7 30 at night and ask you some questions and then we we kind of go through it just as one final check um and then when it um when we finally when we when we cleared all the hurdles and we found you know an audience for this product and an advertising base because somebody's got to pay for it then we go to then we'd go to press and we'd publish it mm -hmm. so what what do you think was the most difficult part of that process of the r&d process um i can explain it in a quick little story someone in the newsroom decided that you know we needed a woman's section but we mm -hmm. couldn't you know they, they in the in the 60s and the 70s they actually you know newspapers actually had sections called women you know women or you know whatever and and that kind of fell out of favor um and then in the in the 80s and the 90s it's like well you know we need something we're not getting young mothers into the fold we need to we need to pull them back in and um so we we started we started this concept of a product called hers and went through all the steps and um i'm sitting in the back i'm sitting behind the mirror with a with a bunch of editors and um so this this one participant um, you know, the question the you, you start a focus group with a with a with an easy question that will get, generate some conversation. And the question was, what's the one thing you'd love to have in your life that would make things so much easier? And one of the women just said, I'd love to have a second bathroom. And we're all like, what the hell is she talking about? And as and as uh and who was the moderator starts to probe on this well the woman had four children mm. and every time she wanted to take a relaxing bath the kids would you know mommy i got to use the bathroom you know just like like they were always disturbing her and she's like if i had a second bathroom i could be soaking in the tub and you know it would be it would be that calgon take me away tv at you know you're soaking in the tub the candles are burning no one's bothering you um and 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 one of the editors and if she ever hears this she'll come back and beat me up was sitting next to me and she turned to me and said well i don't know anybody like that where are you finding these people <laughs> and and i turned to her and i said well i won't say her name You went to Choate Rosemary Hall. 
and then you went to Harvard University, and you've never known a tough life. And this is the average person out there. You know, they're working, they got kids, life is stressful. You know, I said, you know, you've got a pampered life. To which point she's to which point she called me all kinds of names. Um, and then after our third set of focus groups, and we had a similar type of reaction, she finally said, now I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's basically you, 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 you develop an idea, you work the idea, you have people, you know, critiquing, you have your, your internal group, you know, your, your peers critique it. Then you go out to see what the masses are like, because while reporters are very smart, you know, they're reporters are very smart, keen people. They're also pretty much highly educated and they're well-paid and they're not, you know, they're not facing the struggles of a young mother with four children working, working a minimum wage job. You know, lives are completely different. Um, so that's that's kind of how that works. Mm-hmm. Now, just because you made the product doesn't mean you can sit back on your laurels and do nothing else because people's tastes change over time. So the other thing we would we would do on an annual basis is we would pretty much do a, a product review. Um, we would sit down with you and have you turn, you know, go through the paper um, in a one on one interview. And, you know, we'd ask you, what did you look at at this paper? What did you, you know, how much did you read? Um, what sections do you just take and toss aside? You know, some people only want the sports section. Some people want everything but the sports section. Um, so the the problem that a, that, a, that a newspaper faced was they had to have a good balance of everything so that everybody would be satisfied. And nobody would say, oh, this is a waste of time because I don't read all this stuff. So you were constantly checking on and improving and tweaking mm-hmm. so that your product stayed relevant and interesting and people wanted to read it. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, was there any ideas that you had that you were really excited about that ended up really not working out? Oh, we've all had explosions in our life. Yeah. Um, I had one and it was, and it was funny because I thought for sure I was going to get fired when this was done. Um, you know, uh, newspapers, well, newspapers had large circulation departments and they would have a telemarketing crew that every night would go out and they'd bang the phones and they'd sell subscriptions and then... You know, people would, you know, they'd they'd offer them, you know, half price subscription for 30 days. And then, of course, the people would take the 30 days and then they'd drop the subscription. So um, I had come back from a conference where where we were looking at um, one of the speakers spoke about, um, you know, identifying people's habits and classifying, you know, uh, I'm sure, have you heard of Myers-Briggs and discs and and all those little programs that 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 they 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 typecast you into a personality group not really i haven't well you'll be getting them soon well what it is 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 basically it's 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 oh wait you mean for keller williams we got the personality test yeah okay okay well yeah there's there's a ton of those out there yeah and so so a bunch of us got together and said we need to do that for potential subscribers. We need to figure out what their triggers are and what they react to. Um, so we we did some intensive research in seven different markets and we came down to a list of 25 questions. And so we had our telemarketers going out and excuse me, it wasn't, it was 15 questions. Well, in the, in, in their sales pitch, they would ask these 15 questions. And then we would look at the response to those questions and say, we own this person for life. They have to read a newspaper every day. And and we'd also say, okay, these people need some extra loving care. 
we need to work with them to keep them in the fold. Um, so we, we had developed, uh, we had five categories that we would put new subscribers in. And um, then the second part was, okay, what are the steps? What are the methods? What do we have to do to keep those marginal people in the fold? And that's where things blew up. Mm -hmm. We found out that there were people that they wanted the paper for the 30, you know, for the, they wanted it for short-term fix and then they were done and nothing you could do would bring them back into the fold until the next time a crisis hit and then they would come back into the paper. And um, I think I personally spent about $50,000 out of my market, out of my budget for this. And, um, and I'm like, oh, great, you know. I'm going to get called before the, uh, you know, the, the, the controller and the vice president of finance and the publisher and the board of directors, and they're going to just, you know, murder me. And they didn't. And hmm. it was funny because, at, you know, I was really expecting, you know, the ax to fall and, um, and both the publisher and the VP of marketing are like, you know, it was a good effort. What did you learn from it? And, 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 you know, as we talked about it, you know, we realized we had learned some good things about, about our sales tactics to subscribers. And we learned some things that we had to stop doing because they were just, you know, they were, they were, they were costing us too much money and we weren't getting anything from it. Um, and I came out of that meeting and I'm like, oh my God, you know, did I dodge the bullet or what? Cause I, you know, mm. I, I mean, I had really promoted this. I said, we got to get involved in this research you know, the, the they were like the, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, the Washington, all these big newspapers were involved in it. And I'm like, we're on the cutting edge of technology here. We got to do this. And it just, <laughs> it yeah. flatlined. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing I want to start, I want to go over a little bit before we tie up and end the podcast yep. is your education, um, okay. your college education. Uh, so if you could just give like, I know you had briefly mentioned what you yeah, okay. where you um, went to college but if yeah. you could go a little bit more detail about that um i went to uri mm -hmm. um, i majored in political science and economics mm -hmm. and um graduated in 1980 and um it was it was funny because when i first moved into the research department um i'm like Oh no, I got, you know, statistics. I, I, every mathematics class that I had in college was taught by either an Indian professor or a Chinese professor and their accents were so heavy. They were very tough to understand. So I basically didn't learn anything in statistics and, um, and in, in, in market research, you use a lot of statistics. That's how you mm -hmm. test your samples, et cetera. And um, I figured, okay, they're going to figure out I don't know statistics. They're going to they're going to just get rid of me. Well, um, two things happened. Um, my boss in the research department was a statistical genius, absolutely terrified to talk to people, to talk in front of people. So we developed a little partnership here. He was teaching me statistics. And he would do all the deep, in-depth research, you know, in-depth analysis. And I would go out and present it to people because I did not have a problem talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, so I slowly learned statistics from him. And then he sent me off to this uh, seminar in New York. And um, one of the instructors was a guy named Stu Tolly. Uh, we remained friends for many years after this. Like the lights got turned on. And everything made sense. And he, he, you know, all of a sudden I understood how statistical modeling worked, you know, what you, you know, how you did the stuff. Um, and then um, the journal company sent me off to Notre Dame for a master's degree. Um, and it was a, it was a special program. Um, you know, it, I wasn't on campus full time. Um, and my projects were aligned with my job. Um, so I, they sent me off and I got my master's in um, marketing and economics. 
And then I started doing statistical modeling to forecast business, mm -hmm. um, which was um, kind of difficult to explain to people. But once they saw the results, then they wanted more done. Um, you know, uh, the um, and of course, growing up on the East Coast and going to school in Rhode Island and going to college in Rhode Island. And then all of a sudden I'm plunked down in the middle of a cornfield in, in, in Indiana. <laughs> it was huge culture shock. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, now that was back in the early eighties and I'm still friends, still maintain friendships with people that I was in school with. Um, but we, you know, it, it, it just, um, it taught me a lot about understanding numbers mm -hmm. and understanding data. Um, and when I came back and then I was promoted to the manager of the, the department, um, one of the things that I had learned in, in the school was you can teach anyone how to market. Anyone can learn how to market. The books are all over the place. But if a person does not have a good foundation in understanding numbers and how numbers work, they're never going to understand statistics. And they need this, they need to understand statistics to drive their marketing programs. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, and that's kind of what set me off on, you know, uh, at, when, I, when I come back to the journal as the manager of the department, um, that's when the that's when the journal started developing um, a new advertising management system. Now, mind you, all of this was being done on mainframe computers, and mainframes were great. You know, you you you'd plunk your cards in one side, and you waited till the thing got to got to process it, and then would spit out your report at the end. Um, and we were looking at remember that big Rolodex. Mm -hmm. We wanted to get rid of the Rolodex. We wanted, you know, we wanted the salespeople to have the information on their desk uh, available to them all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we started developing statistical models that would say, okay, you know, you did your your advertiser did this, this, and this. This is the way they should continue. This is what they should do next. Um, and um, and then I got into teaching it. <laughs> yep which was which was the best part um i actually taught a couple of classes at johnson and wales in the graduate school in statistics oh wow and i would walk in holding a slide ruler mm -hmm. and that's what you know and, and the students would freak out because they're like you know no 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 we have these ti-59 calculators I'm like no no this is the way you learn it uh, it was only a joke i didn't i didn't bother to teach them how to use the slide ruler because <laughs> <laughs> that just wasn't happening yeah um yeah, so a lot of people, I want to talk about sort of what you learned through college. A lot of people go into college with different mindsets. They're going to go to party or they're going to go to learn or whatever. What was your mindset going into college? And when you graduated the first time from URI, what was the biggest thing that, what was the biggest takeaway from college? Um. When I first went to college, I was amazed at the number of people that I was in class with that did not know how to use a library. Mm -hmm. They were absolutely lost. Um, and I don't know why, but I had an English teacher in high school that, you know, we have, you know, we had to, we had to have a copy of Bartlett's familiar quotations, which was basically a big fat book that took all these famous quotations and categorized them and sorted them. And, um, and that started it. Um, and then um, now mind you, this was before computer databases became very, very popular. Um, but in political science, you have to do a lot of book research and you need to find you know, you need to find news stories and magazine stories and things like that. And these people I was in class with had no idea that there was a, a thing called um, the Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature. And it was basically a big fat index book 
that you could go in and you could go in and you could look up Max Willett, and it would show me every article ever published about you, hmm. or every every article you ever published would be listed in there and a, and a reference on where to find it. Um, that got replaced by the LexisNexis database, which was essentially uh, an online database of magazine and news stories, and you could do word searches, and it would bring up. You know, you could you could find the stuff, but this was 1980, 1981. Um, you know, if you were a freshman at URI, you got to use the computers. You got to go into the computer center at like three o'clock in the morning, and punch your cards and put it in. And and you know, there was no uh, there was no instant online access. I mean, it was you know, it was it was just big and clunky. Um, but these kids, I call them kids. I was a kid myself. Didn't know how to find find stuff in the library. I remember this one girl was like, you know, I can't, you know, I don't know what to do, where to stop. And I'm like, go to the damn reference desk. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them what you're looking for. They'll, they'll, they'll find it and give it to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and, and, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, my God, you're in college. You passed all the exams. You made it here. Don't you know how to use a, didn't you ever go to the library? Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and people would like, look at you like cross-eyed, like, is that the place where I go to pick up chicks? No, no, that's the pub. The library is where you go to learn stuff. So you can afford to pick up the chicks. <laughs> um, And then what was the biggest takeaway you had from college? What was the biggest thing you learned? Um, well, that's a tough question. I'm going to say I'm going to say it's it's tolerance for working with a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your you have your set of friends, and you're all similar. But when you're out in the workplace, they're not all your friends. They're not all similar. And and when you're in when you're in a sales and marketing you know situation they're diametrically opposed to everything you're thinking about. So you, so I think the best thing, the best thing I learned in college was dealing with different groups of people mm-hmm. and how to, and how to not, how to not shut them off. Very, very valuable lesson. Um, Yeah. So I think it's time we start, uh, wrapping up the podcast i have i usually end it with this one question but i want to ask you steve for all of you watching has a very nice resume i printed it out i think it looks great and at the top of his resume it has this quote and this quote is to advance myself to the fullest and take others along to achieve their destinies where did you did did you create that or is that some famous quote that i'm not that i've never heard before but what what made you want to put that there? Because that's a really interesting quote. Um, although although I was raised a Roman Catholic, um, I enjoy reading the writings of the Dalai Lama. Okay. You know, here's a person who was taken away from his family at like two years old. And you know, became the ruler of a nation and a religion. And to this day, he holds no remorse towards anything. And he has some of the most profound writings I've ever read. And some of the most inspiring things I've ever read. Um, so I steal a lot of his quotes. <laughs> well, that's a great quote, and and we're sort of going to stay on that track here. And it's so, it's oh. it's something. I mean, that's that's something that you know that's something that I do. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's because I'm a firm believer in the collective intelligence raises everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got like in 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 business, you have two kinds of of bosses. You have the insecure one that has to beat the hell out of you so that you know that they're better than you and 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 nothing ever gets done. 
And then you have the other boss, the other kind of boss that says, okay, you know, you're really good at this and you're really good at this and you're really good at that. So let's the four of us sit down and move everybody up, share the knowledge, you know, share the skill sets. Um, you know, much like, you know, in the agency. Um, mm -hmm. When I first started teaching technology to people, I was volunteering. I wasn't being compensated for it. I wasn't being compensated directly, but I knew that if if I helped you move up in business and start making sales, then the office, be office becomes profitable and, oh, we have profit sharing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, yeah, there is a little jealousy in there. I want to get some more money. So I want to make sure that all the, everyone can improve themselves. And, you know, it's, it's, it goes along the lines of you want to leave, you want to leave this place better than when you found it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and uh, the, the last thing I end every podcast with sort of ties into this and the, it's a simple question. Uh, and it's interesting to hear everybody's different perspectives on it. If you were to leave one piece of advice to the listeners, what would that be? Business, life, anything you want it to be, what would that advice be? The other quote I always use, which isn't from the Dalai Lama, never stop learning. Absolutely. And and you know what I love about that? I'm a, I'm a big believer in the simple the simple ones the simple quotes because i love the the uh stay foolish stay hungry quote by steve mm -hmm. jobs steve yep. jobs i talk about him sometimes i look business wise i look up to him i think he's great my, one of my favorite movies is the one with michael fassbender because you can see sort of in the beginning of the movie his family life horrible right treats treats his <laughs> his ex-girlfriend and his daughter horribly you know they're just a growth that he just wants to get rid of and as the movie <laughs> progresses as the movie progresses his relationship with his daughter gets better and his business gets better his his products get better and ultimately at the end of the movie in 1999 it sort of culminates he has this this really great conversation at the end of the movie with his daughter and then goes and releases the iMac, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I don't know, I'm, I'm getting off on a Steve Jobs tangent right now, but I can, <laughs> I, you know, but I, I have a picture of him. I mean, like a quote here on my, in my office, but yeah, I, I, I think I love those simple, you know, never stop yeah. learning. It's simple. It can be interpreted. It doesn't, it, it tells you what to do in your life. It doesn't tell you how to live your life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. that, that that's refreshing and, and a very great <laughs> piece of advice. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. And, and, and thank you for coming on the podcast, Steve. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed this. Yeah, it, I love having conversations with people. And this is definitely a great one. And thank you all for listening to the Knowledge is Power podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. And, you know, I, it's a little bit of a conflict of interest. We're both realtors. But if you don't like me, reach out to Steve. If you need to buy a house, I'm sure he could help you out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, we're both agents at Keller Williams. Love that brokerage. So thanks again, Steve. And thank okay. you for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you.